1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17. Brethren, let us hear the word of God. Pray without ceasing. Amen. And may the Lord bless that brief but important three words. <clears throat> As we consider our spiritual health, there are probably few questions as penetrating as are you growing in your prayer life? We've looked at uh, 11 questions thus far regarding our spiritual health and diagnosing it, but this one is a most important one, for it certainly lies at the heart of all our spiritual life, and certainly it is ultimately uh, that which uh, motivates and uh, uh, prepares us uh, for our spiritual progress. Of all the questions that we have asked ourselves in the last few weeks, few are as crucial as this one. Very little, however, speaks of the condition of our souls as clearly as our prayer life. The blood of Jesus Christ was spilled so that our sins might be washed away and the door to the throne of grace opened wide. How often do we take advantage of that? Brethren, the most holy place is now a place where we can approach and abide. Do we do so? <clears throat> the title of this particular message is Pray Without Ceasing. And we want to continue, or we want to consider four things this evening. First of all, the meaning of prayer. Uh, the exhortation to prayer, the unceasingness of prayer, and the biblical witness to prayer. Now, this is not a how-to type of sermon. This is more of a survey by which we might hear the Word of God, have the glories of God's text set before us, so that we might examine our own hearts and minds regarding this vital issue of prayer. So let's take up first the meaning of prayer. True prayer is the heavenly language of the new birth. It possesses a quality that flesh cannot work up. True prayer engages all the range of human emotions as we pour out our souls to God. All one needs to do is to carefully read and examine the, the Psalms to see that. We have blessed the Lord, O oh my soul, in all that is within me. And then we have, Why art thou cast down, O oh my soul? We go to the heights, to the depths, and most of the things in between. Joy, great sorrow, grief, entreaty, supplication. A broad spectrum of human attitudes. And because God is Spirit, He graciously gives us His Holy Spirit so that we may communicate with Him. Prayer is not merely a mindless recitation of certain religious phrases or thoughts. Neither is it merely the expression of beautiful religious words and sentiments. Prayer is not the exercise of repeating a series of wants and desires to God or a psychological experience. Now, taken together, the Hebrew and the Greek words related to prayer mean to request, 
to petition, to intercede, to entreat, to ask. I spent a little time looking at the word pray here today, and it was fascinating. Sometimes lexicons can be immensely useless. And uh, as I looked at the, uh, the definition of some of the better ones, the word pray here was defined as to pray. So much for great help. And Noel Webster, I think, did a, a masterful job defining what prayer does. We've read his definition before, but it's worth repeat, repeating. It says, A solemn address to the Supreme Being, consisting in adoration or an expression of our sense of God's glorious perfections, confession of our sins, supplication for mercy and forgiveness, intercession for blessings on others, and thanksgiving, or an expression of gratitude to God for His mercies and benefits. But this notion of a solemn address to the Supreme Being is a little stiff, isn't it? I mean, is, is that exactly what captures your mind when you go to pray? I'm now going to offer my solemn address to the Supreme Being. Now it's, I think he captured what prayer does, but he hasn't given us a lot of light on what prayer is. On one level, we may simply say, prayer is talking to God. Do you talk to God? I say again, the blood of Jesus Christ was spilled on Calvary. Not only for the washing away of our sins, but that in cleansing us, He swung open wide an audience with the Heavenly Father. There are people that would love to get in to see the governor. There are people that would love to get in to see the president. In fact, I had a, uh, a dear sister in the Lord who had a great burden for the governor and tried for months to get an audience with him and finally uh, was able to get just a few moments with him. They, they gave her that little old teeny window to come in. I think she had 10 minutes, maybe 15 max. And of course, if everyone in the state wanted to go in to see the governor, even that would probably be an exorbitant amount of time. But she waited and waited and waited for that uh, expected day and went in and uh, told him that he was lost and needed Christ and uh, that she would be praying for him. And he dutifully thanked her and let her go on her way. But she had to wait a long time just to see that one sinful man. Brethren, by the blood of Christ, we may go instantly into the presence of our Heavenly Father. We don't have to wait. We don't have to, you know, get dressed up in, in our best clothes. We don't have to uh, work ourselves up, psych ourselves up into a particular frame of mind. Jesus Christ has purchased us with the Father's ear, if I can say it that way. Do we bend it? Do we spend time talking to the most important person we could possibly have audience with? When you think of all the people that are considered important and who you can't get to with a phone or a letter because they're so busy and so important that they don't have time for you and me. Isn't it glorious to think that at any point at any day, under any circumstance, God's children are welcome into His wonderful presence. Do we take advantage of that? Are we growing in that? Or brethren, have we begun to kind of back up and just let prayer become one of those ritual type things? Well, you know, of course, we're supposed to give thanks when we sit down to eat. And of course, we ought to say, 
a prayer before we go to bed or maybe before the, the message. Arthur Pink lamented in his day that he often preached in churches where there wasn't even a word of prayer offered up before he stood to preach. And that was quite some time ago. I remember the story of a... I should, maybe I was going to say a famous evangelist. Maybe infamous would be a better term. He was so brutally blunt with people. But uh, he was a man who stood valiantly for the truth and uh, was about to preach. And the deacons came forward to take an offering. And uh, one of the men... Uh, one of the deacons was called on to pray and after he finished his religious recitation the evangelist said well that one didn't bust the ceiling we can hear very often when a voice is exercised in talking to God it isn't that it's flowery necessarily it isn't that it's in King James English. It isn't that we have learned by osmosis to say things like traveling mercies. It's that our hearts talk to God. Now you can use the word traveling mercies. I'm not mocking that. I'm just saying that's not normally the way we would probably think to pray if we didn't hear someone else say that. Bless them as they go on that trip. Do you pray? Are you growing in prayer? Do you know what it is? When we say that prayer is talking to God, it doesn't mean that we're simply talking into the air. Because it's true, we don't see our God except with the eyes of faith. the highest activity of the human soul because it is the channel of communication between heaven and earth brethren this is the connection between the dimensions now I'm not trying to sound like science fiction I'm saying you and I don't see the heavenly realm we don't see the world of the spirit if the Lord were to open our eyes as Elijah and his young man we would, we would not, we would be astounded at, at what we see all around us in the spiritual realm. But we don't. The problem is we don't traffic there very often, do we? We need to spend time with our God. Prayer originates with the Holy Spirit breathing life into the the human soul and then flows from that new life seeking out the God who gave it. Are you with me on that? And I say that again. Prayer originates with the Holy Spirit. It's not a fleshly activity. It can be, but it's not real prayer. The prayer originates with the Holy Spirit breathing life, eternal life, into the human soul. And then that life flows to seeking the God that gave it. Prayer is the whisper of love from the bride to the bridegroom. From the church to her head. Prayer is the cry of desperation. Prayer is a cry of frustration. Prayer is a recognition of our fleshliness and our prayerlessness. Prayer prayer is exaltation and adoration. Prayer is the fruit of life. The soul breathing back to God, having been made alive. That's why some people don't pray. 
still dead. There's nothing in them that says, I want an audience in heaven. I want to know my Father. I want to know Him who loved me and gave Himself for me. I want to know Him who loved me so that He bruised and broke His Holy Son upon Calvary. I want to know Him. I want to know His ways. I'm tired of mine. Prayer is the evidence of the indwelling Spirit. The outpouring of a heart made alive to the filthy nature of its sin and the righteous nature of the Savior. Prayer is the heart's reply to the lover of our soul. There's a lot of ways we can keep talking about prayer. It's not an easy thing to define. But it is a very real, genuine activity of the soul made alive by God. Well, that brings us to Paul's exhortation to prayer. Paul urges his readers here to pray. Pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. This is a command. At first glance, we might wonder why Paul would have to command the Lord's children to engage in prayer. Don't Christians do that naturally? When you get your big black Bible and your church membership, don't you just pray? And we have to learn to pray, don't we? You have to learn to pray. Our prayers when the Lord saves us sometimes are, are so weak and so stumbling. And yet, sometimes, there's more of an edge of reality to them than when we smooth them out and get the language down. It's true. And that doesn't necessarily have to be the case. I'm just saying that sometimes that's the way it goes. I mean, sometimes there's a fervor and intensity in our stumbling attempts to pray when, we, when the Lord first saves us. And we, we pray all kind of crazy things because we don't know what we're doing. But we know our God. He's done something to us. We want to know Him. And there's that, that kind of bristling life that comes out of God's people when they're saved that later on sometimes when it's refined, if it isn't carefully nurtured, it loses some of its edge. We need to be encouraged to pray. We need to be encouraged to pray because we get busy. And then busyness, which may be legitimate, can often become the basis for our sinning in growing lax. Because what it means is that ultimately we'll have to fight to get time for prayer. And the fight's too hard. I know a dear friend who had a, a very intense work schedule. And the only time he could really work out to pray was in the morning. But he was not a morning person. At least to have any extended time in prayer. He could pray all day. Uh, here and there in little bits of time. But to have just time before the Master. All the children were still asleep. and His wife was still asleep. He had to get up in the morning. But not being a morning person, he found very quickly that he'd get up, he'd go in with an eager heart, and in about two minutes, he'd be sound asleep on his knees trying to pray. Just gone. And he got to where the only way that he could fight for that time was he'd get up, he'd have some coffee, and then he'd pace in his study to pray. That's the only way he could do it. But there was something in him that drove him to do it. He was willing to say... I'll walk around in my room so that I can pray rather than say, well, you know, when I get up to pray, I just fall back to sleep. 
See, that's, that's a sign of life that says, okay, my flesh is saying, I don't want to do this. But my heart says, I have to do this. Not because anyone's holding a gun on me. Not because the preacher's going to stomp and get red-faced and sweaty, making me feel bad about prayer. But because life in me desperately wants to lay a hold of God. Prayer is a supernatural activity in which the flesh does not naturally engage. So we need to be reminded. We need to be commanded to pray. Because we need to pray. What marriage can possibly survive when husband and wife do not talk. It might go on in its legal bounds. But as far as the life of what that mystery called marriage is, it's a corpse. There's got to be that communication between the hearts. And that helps keep the fire Alive. It's a, it's a well-nurtured, well-tended fire. Any of you that have a fireplace or a wood-burning stove, you know that they just don't keep going. You have to put some fuel in there. You have to. Not only that, you've got to watch it. You've got to watch it. You've got to tend it and maintain it. Because when it goes out, got to start the whole process again. Prayer needs to be kindled, brethren. Here's the fuel. You fill your furnace with the wood, the fuel, the coal, whatever you burn in yours. God's Word. If you don't, prayer very often lapses into just that little ritual, that little ceremony that I know I should do. And I feel guilty about it if I don't get to it once in a while. No, brethren, why aren't we more eager to get into the presence of Him that loved us? Part of it is because we don't sit and listen to His voice enough to prompt our own answer back to Him. When we pray, brethren, as we've been doing this uh, Diagnosing Our Spiritual Health series, over and over there have been times where as I've gone through these passages, I've come to the pulpit repentant, broken, and in desperate need of more prayer. Because as the Word of God made its presence known in my heart as I saw these truths I needed to talk to God that doesn't just mean the ones that make us convicted of our sins but sometimes the ones that just fill our hearts with overflowing joy When we see the love of God for us in the pages of His Word, don't you find something in your soul that wants to say, I love you back? If there is an activity that is caught between the flesh lusting against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh, it is certainly prayer. Let's be honest. I'm not going to have anybody stand or raise their hand, but I would say, how many of you prayed like you wanted to this week? Really prayed. For that matter, how many of us knew we ought to and just kind of didn't get around to it? 
But if you did pray, if you did pray, did you really pray like you wanted? Why not? Because of the flesh. It's always hampering our time of prayer. Oh, Father, you know how desperately I need you. And uh, we've got that meeting tomorrow at 9 o'clock. If I say this, that, that, that would probably be useful. Help my children and help Uncle Bill. You know, I hope she's got dinner on time tonight. You know, it's just so easy. Brother, sometimes it's like a traffic jam, isn't it? You try to pray, and all of a sudden there's more voices than your own. The flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And we can't do what we want to do. And the heart of God's children wants to pray. Prayer involves discipline, struggle, and time. And very often we're unwilling to deal with any of those three issues. With the kind of energy they deserve. We don't like the discipline. And many of us are not disciplined. We don't like to struggle. How many times have you begun to pray? And begun to pray intensely. And then all of a sudden, five, ten minutes later, realize, where did, when did I stop praying? Uh, my mind's been drifting to this and it... When did, I, when did I drop off? When did I quit? What was the last thing I was praying about? Have you ever done that? It's a struggle. I don't like that kind of struggle, what human being does. And yet, we must bring our hearts back and fix them upon the God that loved us and gave Himself for us. Because we can. What better place to be than in the presence of holiness? and purity, and strength, and wisdom, and love, and encouragement. Oh, brethren, too many of us are not willing to pay the price to become more effective in our prayer. Paul was a man of prayer. He tells the Thessalonians, we give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. <coughs> and in his second epistle to them, he writes, Wherefore also we pray always for you. Now, was he exaggerating? I don't think so. But he had to strive to make those kind of prayers, to do that regularly, to pray for the Thessalonians. Now, the desire to pray sometimes comes very easily. The act of prayer is very often the wrestling mat. I don't know if any of you have ever prayed all night. It says very often that our Lord Jesus Christ did. If you have never prayed all night, you ought to try just once. I don't know anything that stretched me like that. An entire group of men, including a number of pastors, gathered together to pray for a man who was dying. And our purpose was to pray all evening after the, after the preaching services. And we prayed until 6 in the morning. And brethren, that was the longest night I think I've ever had in my life. And I've never seen more men than I knew that were godly men that after our first hour or two were down to just having to repeat themselves. We weren't up to the match. It's hard for us to pray for five minutes, let alone five hours, six hours, nine hours, ten hours. It's amazing. 
And yet, throughout the history of the church, there have been the saints that the Lord has granted a gift of prayer that is remarkable. But there was a desire in their heart to know their God, and it drove them to their knees over and over again. Very often, when we have that desire, we squelch it ourselves by our excuses and by our flesh. <clears throat> to the Romans, Paul wrote, For God is my witness that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayer. Think of the person you love the most right now, apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you be able to say with Paul, as God is my witness, I pray for you always, without ceasing. Few of us would dare to take that challenge. But Paul could say, I'm always praying for you. I'm always praying for you. Does that mean that every moment of every day that's all he was doing? No. He couldn't have been doing that, praying for the Thessalonians at the same time. What does it mean? That there was always an attitude of prayer about him. And at every opportunity... He prayed. He was always leaning spiritually in that direction. His finger was on the trigger of prayer, ready at every, every opportunity to squeeze it. I can say it that way. Paul says to the Colossians, We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. You hear that? Always, always, always without ceasing. He often exhorts his readers to devotion in prayer, as in his letters, uh, letter to the Ephesians. It says, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Well, that brings us, quite naturally, to the unceasingness of prayer. Those are the very words that Paul uses. When he says pray without ceasing, as I pointed out a moment ago, he's not talking about every waking moment that, lip, uh, that, our, that prayers are pouring off of our lips. And that wouldn't be bad. But uh, we're not made that way. And I don't believe that's what the Lord has ordained. <clears throat> it doesn't mean that every single second of our activity must be vocal or mental prayer. And there are some people that have just about interpreted it that way. But he is calling them to live a life consonant with the Spirit of God that dwells within them and that is characterized by always being in communion with the Father. Always being in communion with our God. Morning, Afternoon, evening, while I am impressed, and while I know men who are able to give hours to prayer, if you read the scriptures carefully, most of the prayers there are short. They're just very powerful because they are obviously hearts open wide by the Spirit of God and familiar talking to the Lord. They know who He was, and so they could approach Him as to who He was. They understood Him. One of the reasons we don't pray is because we, we don't know our God. We need to know Him. How do we know Him? We go to His book. We go to His revelation. And we hear Him speak to us. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. We hear that voice. And yet we also hear him say, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. He's a God who invites us to himself. Do you come? When he says, Arise, my love, and come away, do you run to meet your Lord? A life characterized by prayer. <clears throat> Paul uses <clears throat> these phrases when he exhorts his readers to pray. And these are just a few. <clears throat> As here, he says, pray without ceasing. We give thanks to God always. 
Without ceasing, I make mention of you always in my prayers, continuing instant in prayer. That means steadfast, praying always, praying always for you. Do you hear his language? It's ongoing. It characterizes his life. It's not something that just happens when he's in trouble. It's not something that just happens when, oh, he really got his wish. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. It isn't just, well, thank you for this meal. Amen. But there is a constancy of communion with God. Walking connected to heaven by the soul. Is that you? Is that me? Are we growing in that? Now, if you're a Christian, it's you. The issue is, are you growing? Are you learning more about it? I'm not asking you if you're taking more time to pray. That's fine if you have it. But what's your prayer like? And we're not going to have a test here to see who has the most spiritual prayers. That's not the point. Are we growing in the knowledge of our God? Are we growing in the knowledge of how He deals with men? Are we growing in the knowledge of the way He answers prayer? Have we learned something in our wrestling about our God? Or are we just going through our grocery list? It's easy to do it. The grocery list is easy. But wrestling with the Lord, that's not easy. Lord, why? I trust you. I don't understand this. I'm listening. I'm bowing. Guide me. Grant me wisdom. Speak to me. And we should always be about that. It can be praise. Hallelujah. Praise you, Lord. Thank you for your mercies to us today. That's a good prayer. The scriptures are full of short prayers that burst forth with joy, praise, thanksgiving, overflowing hearts. I'm not talking about have you learned to talk longer than other people, but are you growing in your prayer? Growing in the, the quality of that prayer? Is it deepening with your God? Are you learning Him as you pray? We never get Him down. We, we can never say, well, I've got Him figured out. But that's a good thing to learn in prayer. And to see His glorious answers to prayer. Sometimes when we least expect them. When we should always be expecting. Brethren, the Apostle reveals not only his own heart, but what he desires for all believers. We should be always about the matter of prayer. We should earnestly seek the Lord's face in praise, thanksgiving, worship, as well as laying before Him our needs and the needs of others. As one writer says, quote, Prayer was so natural and so continual with the great Apostle that it found its way inevitably into his correspondence. Close quote. That's a great quote. And that's a great assessment of Paul. Read his epistles. He couldn't help but pray in his letters. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. <laughs> Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It just, just flow, flowed out of him. Well, finally, <clears throat> if we're to be unceasing in prayer, let's look at the biblical witness to prayer <clears throat> and see some of the places, some of the fountains we may come to drink to learn a little bit more about this praying. Of course, God's Son prayed. No one ever prayed like the Lord Jesus. If there is anything that the Scriptures make clear about our beloved Master, it is that He was a man of prayer. God's Son prayed at His baptism. Luke 3, 21. Now when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also being baptized 
and praying, the heaven opened and the Holy Ghost descended in a bodily shape like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven which said, Thou art my beloved Son, in thee I am well pleased. Christ went into the waters of baptism, praying, communing with his Father, and he heard his Father's approval. God's Son prayed when He chose His apostles. Luke 6, verse 12, And it came to pass in those days that when He went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God, and when it was day, He called unto Him His disciples, and of them He chose twelve, whom also He named apostles. Brethren, when was the last time you gave some extended time to prayer before an important decision. The Lord Jesus prayed all night before He chose His apostles. All night. What do you pray about all night? Oh, that I knew more. I don't know. I want to know my God. So very often we launch into our decisions because, well, that makes sense. And then we spawn Ishmael and he mocks us instead of waiting for God and his Isaac. It's so easy, brethren. We trust ourselves. We, we, we sit down, we think it through, everything seems logical. I don't see any problems. Uh, I've even thought about this for a couple of days. But do we get before our God and say, I commit my works unto thee. Establish my thoughts. Lord, I want to trust in you with all of my heart. Trust in the Lord with all my heart. And lean not into thine own understanding. In all thy ways, acknowledge Him, and He shall direct thy paths. Do we know that? Do we really experience that? Or is that a nice verse that we learn to say once in a while? Or is it digested in our souls? And we've learned something about it down on the wrestling mat. I imagine some of our decisions would change. But it takes discipline, struggle, and time. And the last one is the one we have the least amount of. God's Son prayed with and for His disciples and He taught them to pray. Luke 11 Verse 1 says, It came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. Now, what did he hear the Lord Jesus preach? It would have been wonderful to hear the Lord Jesus preach. We have some of his prayer here in Scripture. But this disciple, when Christ was finished, said, Oh, John teached his John taught his disciples to pray. But teach us. He heard something that moved his heart. And if you want to fill your own soul, read Paul's prayers. Read Christ's prayers. See how they prayed. Read the Psalms. Pray through a psalm. Have you ever done that? Take one of your psalms and pray over every verse. Let every verse prompt your pleadings with God. Try that once. Learn to pray. Do you think that a disciple 2,000 years ago could say to Christ, teach me to pray, and that Christ no longer does it? He teaches. He does. Brethren, it's not how religious our prayers sound. Do they sound like voices familiar with what they're doing? The wife knows her husband's voice, his tone. She knows when he's excited. She knows when he's agitated. She knows when he's maybe a little heavy of heart. There's certain things about the way his voice sounds. He can say, hi, sweetheart. There's something in it. You can tell, hmm, maybe it wasn't a good day. Why? Because 
Yeah. That's clearly between a husband and a wife who spend time communing. They know each other. They know some things. Jesus will teach us to pray. And if we pray often enough with Him, we'll come to that place where when we pray, we're not praying so someone else will say, Oh boy, he really prays well. I mean, if that's why you're praying, you've already got what you wanted. The men I've enjoyed praying with the most over the years are not the men who have the most lofty words. But when I bowed with them, I was humbled that I knew this was something they did all the time. I could hear it. There was a voice. There was an activity going on that I knew wasn't being put on for my benefit. I was hearing the bride and the groom. Teach us to pray. And he said unto them, When you pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven. He taught them. We can go and learn. Luke 18, verse 1, the Lord Jesus was teaching. It says, He spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. Ought always to pray. Gave them a parable so that they might get a hold of the idea that stay with it, go on with it. And I believe that this is what Paul's getting at. Pray and don't faint. Keep on praying. Be unceasing. Be steadfast. Be regular. Maintain your praying so that you won't faint. John 14, verse 16. The Lord Jesus says, I will pray the Father, and He shall give you another Comforter, that He may abide with you forever. Christ prays for us. We ought to be talking to Him. John 17, verse 1. These words spake Jesus and lifted up His eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. And then he prays for his children. I never get tired of saying this. I can't come to this passage without saying, if you're a Christian tonight, you're in the Bible. Right there in John 17. Because Jesus said, I pray for them. That's my prayer. Do you understand that the salvation applied to you came because the Father heard that prayer. He prayed for those that the Father gave Him. And that's why we're here 2,000 years later. Do you see that? Do you understand that? Don't you want to talk to Him who prayed for you that you might have life? Don't you want to know Him who gave you His Spirit so that you can commune with the Most High? You can't say, after what we just read, I don't know what to say. Because all you have to do is say, Lord, will you teach me? I don't know. He will. Move my heart, Lord, and show me how to pray. Brethren, God's Son prayed in His most glorious hour. Luke chapter 9, verse 28. And it came to pass about in eight days after these sayings, he took Peter and John and James and went up into a mountain to pray. And as he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered and his raiment was white and glistering. In his most glorious moment with his disciples, transfigured on the mount, he prayed. He prayed. And brethren, God's son prayed in his darkest hour. Matthew 26, 36. Then cometh Jesus with them into a place called Gethsemane, and saith unto the disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. The word's on his lips all the time. Pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. He was always 
in communion with his father. And it says, and he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed. And prayed. Now you know, probably most of us know a little something about falling on the face and praying. But how about those moments that are the most glorious? We see both of them in Christ. God's apostles prayed. When he was converted, the Lord Jesus described Paul to Ananias this way. Behold, he prayed. He, Paul himself later wrote to the Colossians, For this cause we also since the day we heard it do not cease to pray for you and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Don't know what to pray? Go learn from Paul. Surely there's some brothers and sisters you can pray for just like this. Peter prayed just before God gave Peter the glorious vision that prepared him for the conversion of the Gentiles. An astonishing act of God. We read in Acts 10.9, On the morrow as they went on their journey and drew nigh into the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray. And while he was praying, the Lord met with him. He prepared him for the Gentiles. Oh, God's son prayed. God's apostles prayed. God's people pray. The scriptures bear constant testimony that God's people Pray. It says, So Abraham prayed unto God, and God healed Abimelech and his wife and his maidservants. Genesis 20:17. And Moses prayed for the people. Numbers 21:17. We hear Hannah. It says, She was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord. And then Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoiceth in the Lord. We have Hannah on one hand, bitterness of soul. God gave her that blessed child, and she rejoiced in her God. The whole spectrum. Brethren, we can come to God. Come! In whatever way! Come staggering and falling on your face as Christ the Son did in the garden. Come as Hannah, overjoyed about the child. But come! Pray! Pray without ceasing. It says Elisha, before he raised the child from the dead, says he went in and prayed to the Lord. God's people pray for their enemies. The Lord Jesus said, I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you. That's hard prayer to do, isn't it? When the only, now here's the way we, we want to obey that. Oh Lord, Fix that person. That's the way we pray for our enemies, generally. But that's, this is not what Christ is talking about. Pray for them. Pray for them that persecute you. Overcome evil with good. It helps overcome bitterness. God's people pray in afflictions and sickness. James 5, 13. Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. God's people pray in the Spirit. And that's the key. Ephesians 6.18, as we read already, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. And God's people pray for the well-being of one another. Don't know what to pray for? Pray for Brother Stephen and, and me. Run out of things to pray for? We need prayer. Brothers and sisters in your assembly, you can take the phone list and just go down the list and say, Lord, I pray for that brother. Lord, I pray for that sister today. I don't even know this brother, but Lord, I pray that you would knit our hearts together in Christ, that we might walk together in the, in the, in the grace of the Lord Jesus. Do you pray? Are you growing in prayer? Are you stuck? 
in a rut? Let's break out of it by the mercy of our God. Hypocrites pray. The hypocrite, like the Pharisee, for a pretense, make long prayers. Brethren, we're not proving anything to anyone when we pray for 30 minutes in and of itself. We join together in the mornings and sometimes some of the prayers that have just touched my heart have been just a few sentences that I could tell were just uttered as the heart was moved. Now, this doesn't mean that, you know, again, we're not making comparisons here. I mean, there have been some prayers where a brother has gone and prayed for quite some time and when he quit, I wasn't ready for him to quit. He was feeding my own heart. It's like, oh, don't quit. Praise the Lord. All I'm saying is that we don't have to put a time limit if we're looking for spirituality. It just needs to be from the soul to our God. The hypocrites love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the street that they may be seen of men. We don't need that kind of prayer. But we like the Pharisee who only talked to himself. When the Pharisee and the publican stood in the temple, it said the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. While he thought he was praying to God, all he was doing was talking to himself. Oh, may God preserve us. Well, brethren, we bring this to an end this way. The Lord Jesus Christ loves His people. He has shown us by His glorious life, His death, His resurrection. He has saved us from hell by His glorious sacrifice. But it isn't only about our sins being forgiven. This is so that we might be brought into most holy union with Him and with the Father. And by the power of the Spirit, we commune together. We pray. We pray to the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ by the power of the Spirit. Prayer is a heavenly language which, which begins by the prompting of the Spirit and continues in the power of the Spirit. When God saves us, it gives us a heart for prayer and a tongue for prayer. And He calls us to His house of prayer. The house of men are often known for their warmth or for their decor or for their lavishness or for their expense. But God's house which we are, not this building. We're now His house. God's house is to be a house of prayer. May we pray without ceasing. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780 780- Four five zero thirty seven thirty by fax at seven eight zero four six eight ten ninety six or by mail at forty seven ten dash thirty seven A Avenue, Edmonton. That's E D M O N T O N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A capital B, Canada, T six L three T five. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. 
For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.